This is the Ground Podcast from Cathedral Project. Church attendance in the United States is in decline. Maybe it has something to do with the pandemic, or maybe with a rise in distrust for the government, and even person to person. Regardless, the reality is something churches and citizens are feeling all across America. Research by the Survey Center on American Life and the University of Chicago found in early 2022 that 67% of Americans reported a church attendance frequency of at least once per year. That number is down from 75% of Americans from before the pandemic. According to one study released by the Pew Research Center, three-quarters of Americans believe trust in the government is declining, adding also that more than two-thirds say the same for interpersonal trust. And you've probably noticed the effects in your neck of the woods. Look around. How polarized do people seem on social media? American politics have put on the appearance of a division straight down the middle between those blue people and those red ones. And have you noticed friends leaving the church? Have you also noticed the new waves of Christian thought emerging over the last several years with monikers like postmodern or emergent or this new scarier term deconstruction? Social and cultural waves tend to move with generations. As we watch our parents and their parents' approach to politics, spirituality, and everything else unfurl over time, we really can't help but notice the pitfalls. Many of us have been burned by those pitfalls, with wounds still healing or with scars itching from the memory of our injuries. But beloved people, it is your collective work that amounts to lasting change in the world. We have far more in common than we are so often told we do. Unity and grassroots effort for the sake of our social lives and our collective emotional well-being are more important than ever before. That is where Cathedral Project holds potential for real change. It's through you, friends. It's always been through you. It's okay to forget church as you've always known it and to step into something new, something bigger. Sometimes we need a hand remembering how to step into our own power or how to take our power back. Through carefully curated practices, arts, and events, we are here to aid you in creating the revolution and the better world we all know is possible. Welcome to Cathedral Project. Happy New Year, everybody. This is episode four of Ground, a podcast from Cathedral Project. Today's episode is going to be a little different. There's not going to be an interview and there's not going to be a story told. Today is just kind of going to be about clearing up some stuff about what we're actually doing here, about how it comes down and puts on hands and feet and and takes shape in the world. What the heck is this thing? Why was it started? We're also going to be addressing some of the doctrinal points that people tend to get hung up on. I want to go ahead and say right out of the gate, and I've said it before, Cathedral Project Ground, they are not doctrinal argument debate grounds. This is not a place for that. This isn't, that's not what we're interested in. Um, I think that what's so common in the faith, the Christian faith that we have right now, 
that we've seen bodied forth in the church for a long time now has kind of morphed into this very intellectual, rationally contrived set of beliefs and doctrines. And not all of them are bad. Um, there's a lot. The rational mind is is a very useful and wonderful thing. It's it's what's gotten us where we are as a species. It's what keeps us alive. It's what moved us into caves a long time ago and kept us from living out in the open. It's what you know led to every bit of technology that we have now. So there there isn't there's not no hate for the rational mind here. There's no hate for discussion and debate. There's a place for that. And sometimes that will rear its head here. It's not where we want to hang up most of our energy. So we will address a few of those points today, um, but we're not going to get down in the weeds too much with it. And if you would like to discuss any of those matters further, feel free to fill out the contact form at cathedralproject.com and we will see about addressing those questions that you might have. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that this is going to be full of a lot of Christian sort of verbiage. Um, We want Cathedral Project to be incredibly inclusive, but we can't avoid that kind of Christianese because that's the culture that we come from. So there's going to be a lot of talk about Christ and the church and covenants and all of this sort of stuff. Just bear with that. If you're on the outside of that, I want to let you know that if you find the word God harmful, if it's hurting you, if it's just got so much baggage on it. If you want to use the word universe, we, let's use that word. Uh, th- that, that is such a wonderful word to use for this concept because it's the exact same thing. It's the quantum reality of interconnectedness all throughout all things that, that blips up with these amazing moments of synchronicity and incarnation where people come out and, and speak the truth to the human race through some kind of a conscious thread that's running through all things. We're talking about the same thing, I fully believe. Christ consciousness, when we talk about that, we're really talking about enlightened consciousness. We're talking about the the elevated way of thinking and knowing that things are connected. So we're going to include that language as much as we can moving forward. Just be warned that this episode is going to have less of that and more of the Christian stuff because that's the nature of the stuff that we're addressing. Uh, but I do plan on bringing some people in to, and interviewing them with some much more uh, unique and varied and um, even exotic ways of viewing spirituality soon. So I look forward to that. I will be very honest here. This is a big one. You know, this what we're going through here at this moment in time is a new Christian spirituality that carries with it a set of doctrines and beliefs that go back almost 2,000 years now. So there's been a lot of proving and reproving and thinking and councils and you know, canonization and translations and no disrespect is meant to any of that. It's a rich tradition that we have because of that, but if I'm being transparent, this is a tough one for me. This this episode, I have a feeling, is going to take me the longest of any I've done yet, just kind of getting through all of it and and making sense of everything without getting too far down in the weeds, like I said. So just bear with me, but um, if you're interested in doing any study of your own, if I could just refer you to some some places, some some particular personalities that I am really drawn to when it comes to these sort of thoughts. There are a couple that really stick out. One is Rob Bell. Um, Rob Bell was the pastor of a church called Mars Hill in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, left that church to kind of pursue more of just a free-roaming, kind of freelancing uh, Christian thought leader role. And he's done some really great work. There's also David Bentley Hart, 
who I would call, you know, just from my layman perspective, um, like the N.T. Wright of America, probably the most profound uh, Christian thinker that we've had uh, in a very long time uh, in on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and another great one would be Pete Enns. Uh, he has a podcast called The Bible for Normal People. There's a lot to glean from those personalities, so they can probably say what I'm saying a lot better than I am. If you're curious or want to do some more searching and researching of your own, those are some great people to look into. So we're going to get into this right now, and I'm going to just share with you from my heart. As the founder of Cathedral Project, I'm going to share with you what comes to me organically. I'm not going to go Google a bunch of sources and share with you a bunch of references, though that can be helpful. I'm just going to tell you that all of this comes from you know my 40-year lifespan, from my time in ministry, from my time doing my own research, study, and then own intuitive journey in spirituality. So this is going to be a very authentic thing. This isn't going to be you know, Wikipedia and um, peer-reviewed articles and, you know, such and such said such and such. This is just going to be cursory. So Cathedral Project has been brewing in my mind for a long time, and it's in part a result of my deconstruction journey, which in some ways really started with interviews at churches all across the country. I was flying all over the place um, trying to find a church that would be a good fit for me. And um, I had this hunch all the while that I was maybe saying some things that weren't being very welcomed at these places, uh, like you know, asking to make sure that there were women in places of leadership at these churches, asking to make sure that they were friendly to all sexual orientations, that there was racial diversity and so on and so forth. And somehow just kept not getting these positions, even though it was my profession. I was extremely good at leading a team of people. I was very good at caring for people. I had a lot of really good references and it still wasn't coming together for me. Um, so, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't the right person for those positions. And I've just come to really believe in my heart of hearts that my heart is still to, for ministry to people. And and when I say ministry, I really just mean encouragement and counsel and love and acceptance to, to people. But I wasn't finding the right congregations. I wasn't right for those places. And I eventually found out that I wasn't right for the institutional church at all. And it was time to move on to another group of people, to a new group of Christians or post-Christians or spiritualists, just general spiritual human beings who just need to feel a place of belonging in the world. And it can be really difficult in today's climate to find that. So that's a huge part of why Cathedral Project is here, is just to be a place for these more universal spiritual minds, especially those who have exited the church, to feel encouragement, to feel love, to feel like they're part of a fold. And that's why the name ground for this podcast is so important, because it's that solid ground when you feel unanchored from church life, that solid ground, a common place to stand with others. So the Cathedral Project is not a cult. Phew. <laughs> you can breathe easy if you've been wondering. This is not something that centers around one magnetic, charismatic leader who's going to issue these edicts, and it's not a restrictive community structure where people are going to be asked to leave their lives and leave things behind and follow a rigid set of doctrines. It's quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, there could be 
new church expressions and ideas or new spirit spiritual faith gathering ideas that spurn off of Cathedral Project, and there is nothing but freedom and love and acceptance there for that to happen. Um, there's openness to that. There is nothing to sign up for. There's nowhere to sign. There's nothing to stay involved in with any sort of guilt reasoning or appealing to any sort of you know, negative reinforcement. This is just the work of the people of their own free will to gather in grassroots fashion uh, together in homes across the country. And that's really all it is. Yes, I I am the founder of this thing, but the entire heart for the whole thing is for it to be spread out all over the world and for the movement of Cathedral Project within the people in ground gatherings all over should be just inspired by their own desires to help their own communities and by their own desires to love one another. This is just a social um, and spiritual thought movement that we're trying to loose on the world, where we're trying to counteract the stranglehold, if you will, that institutions have had on all of humanity for a long time now. Um, you know, I've always been a fairly anti-establishment personality. Um, it's not like I just look at every establishment and want to burn them all down. Um, however, I'm very skeptical. Of establishments. I was in a punk band in high school, you know. Um, I've listened to my fair amount of Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> uh, and I've listened to my fair amount of Noam Chomsky, and uh, I have I have a lot of thoughts on the way establishment has worked in human history. Um, all of that to say, uh, and I think a lot of us do, if we if we delved further into it, you'd realize, you know, like your life and the way that you live as a human being should not be dictated to you down to the smallest letter and granule by the institutions and establishments around you. It shouldn't. You're a human. You were born and your life has value. And if those establishments didn't exist and you were as primitive as the most primitive history that we have, uh, that we can recall, or that, you know, whatever it is we postulate we used to be as human beings, your life would still have value, inherent value, beautiful value. And it's this development as human beings in in the intellect and the rational mind that works in symbiosis with the intuition to bring us to a place where we can understand that in a more full and deep way, where we can understand the value of our existence and of our very being uh, at a level we never have been before. So when I said earlier that the rational mind uh, is is very useful. That's what I mean. It's a wonderful servant and a horrible master. Uh, so that's why we don't want to delve too deep into doctrinal thesis statements and 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 pick things apart that way. That's why we want to keep this thing on the level of human beings, the work of the people independently within their own communities, gathering without the need for a church, without the need for a rotary club or whatever, Shriner, nothing like that. This is just a movement of individuals who recognize a universal spirituality and who want to independently gather and love on one another. That is all it is. And it just so happens that the the reason this comes to bear in the world in a more focused way is because so much of our culture leading up to this point has been Western Christian culture. And so when we begin to embrace a more universal spirituality, we are just trying to to fill the vacuum that's created of community when we leave those those faith gatherings. And as has been stated before and will be stated many times, that is not where everyone needs to be. 
It, we're, this isn't a superiority statement that the church is just a failure and will always be. However, the church as it has been imagined now in America and as it so often keeps falling by the wayside is the thing that we're trying to move past and create something new in its wake. So that's what Cathedral Project is from a bird's eye view. Now, how does that come down and become real? Well, the ground podcast and the ground gatherings, the vision, the picture of ground that we talked about at the beginning of the last podcast, where when you feel lost at sea, when you feel unanchored, knowing that we have a place to stand solidly with one another, that's what ground is all about. That's what that's how Cathedral Project puts on skin and bone and and moves in the world. Practically, this is how it looks. And it's so simple that it's probably going to bother you a little bit. <laughs> or it might blow your mind. I don't know. We'll see. The idea is simply this, this revolutionary concept. Are you ready for it? Okay, here we go. The idea is to commit to regularly gather with friends in one of your homes, monthly, weekly or bi-weekly, and to share food and community and fellowship with one another, and to get to know each other better, and to be vulnerable with other human beings. That is what ground is. Shocking, right? Revolutionary. <laughs> in a way, it really is just the house church idea that's been in the fringes of mainstream Christianity forever. But there's another layer to this of this universal understanding of spirituality and how really as we've globalized as a human race, we're just aware of so many more ideas and so many more valuable perspectives. And another thing that I think is important philosophically to understand is that one of the only things making us Christian as a culture in the West is just where, where you were born. If you're a Christian t today or were a Christian or identify as this kind of quasi-Christian that a lot of us feel we are right now, you probably are so simply because you were born in the West. If you think on it, if you had been born in Eastern traditions, it is overwhelmingly likely that right now you would be an Eastern religious person or have at least an Eastern religious or philosophical imprint on your personality. And a lot of the way that you think would be informed by that. So what do we do with that idea? It really is paramount that we lay off Calvinism, that we cast aside this idea that there is an elect few and that those few only came from this tiny little fertile crescent in this tiny little area of the world and that God only spoke there and that that's it. Because while God was speaking to the Hebrews and to what we would call Christians in the early days of Christianity, guess what? Columbus hadn't yet discovered this entire continent, this entire new world over on the other hemisphere of the planet, let alone mainland China and all everything that expanded to the east from there. It's an important thing to remember. It's a perspective we really have to keep. That's why the universal idea is so important. It does not at all take anything away from the validity of the Christian message. What it takes away from is the exclusivity of any one religion and its claim to superiority over the others. 
Uh, and that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to stomach. So if you're listening to this right now and that's not where you are, I bless you and give you the grace to go ahead and step off. You know, <laughs> you don't have to be here for this. I appreciate you listening and giving me the time thus far. But if you're not comfortable with that, I, I respect that. And I, I, that's not where everyone is. I, I would just ask that you would open the door to the idea that God might just be bigger and more capable than you ever thought, and that the black and white things that you've been taught in your doctrines may have been formed in a way, formulated in a way to hold on to control and power and influence, and might be small in that way, might be small and contained and narrow in that way. Not not talking about superiority here, okay? We're talking about uh, openness. We're talking about a a complete worldview. You know, I think that some I've brushed shoulders with a lot of Christians who feel strongly about the exclusivity of Christ, about um, the their, their the Abrahamic lineage, and and really do feel like that is where all the truth the world needs to hear came from. And also live very beautiful lives. And also the the disciplines that they employ in their lives have created a very beautiful result. Um, there are so many figures. I mean, we can just start naming them right now. Mother Teresa, you know, Fred Rogers. <laughs> uh, not to put them in the exact same category necessarily, but I love me some Fred Rogers. Both coming from a more traditional Christian lineage, one Catholic and one, I would say, more of a evangelical uh, Western American lineage. Regardless, the way that your faith takes shape in your life is what's always going to be the most important thing. There's a line at the end of Chronicles of Narnia. It's called the, the Last Battle. Just to give you a brief overview of it, it's where a story similar to the Antichrist revelation narrative laid out for us in the Bible is taking place in Narnia. And there is a sort of Antichrist figure who's even dressed up like a lion at the end, um, and uh, like Aslan. And what's happening is the world there is actually coming to an end. And it's coming to the to an end in a very fairy tale fashion because C.S. Lewis had this beautiful way of taking fiction and making it speak directly to reality and making it even embellish and um, emphasize and put new color onto the Christian theology of uh, of what we've always heard about the the end times and about Christ's coming and about the the Holy Spirit you know all these sort of concepts are just laid out really beautifully in C.S. Lewis' writings. Well, at the end of the book, there's a soldier from an uh, enemy army. And when the main characters saw this soldier, they thought to themselves that he seemed to be very noble, that he seemed like he was... He had he carried about him an air of goodness, and he was respected by his fellow soldiers, but he was in the enemy army and was serving... Uh, a another entity, another god named Tash in the book and not serving Aslan. Well, at the very end, 
there's a portal that opens up. It's a long story, but there's a portal that opens up to a countryside that very much looks heavenly and seems to mirror the reality of heaven. And there's a lot of images that are evoked right there by C.S. Lewis, but there's a moment where the children, the main characters, are walking through this this kind of forest area of this heavenly landscape, and they see that soldier leaning against a tree. And he looks stunned, and they start speaking to him. And he says that Aslan passed him in that countryside and told him that though he thought he'd been serving Tash his whole life, he'd actually been serving Aslan. And that is one of the most respected and beloved Christian authors that we have who said that. So I think it's worth giving yourself some pause and considering that the God of the universe that we have been told here and there is punishing people forever and ever in hell might actually be so good, guys, <laughs> that he judges the heart at a level that we may have been too small-minded to imagine. And I think that's an important thing for us moving forward. Again, if you aren't there, if that's just a difficult thing for you to wrestle with right now, I respect that. And and I would never try to evangelize you into um, anything that's going to lessen your life experience, that's going to make you feel attacked. Um, But I would challenge viewpoints that may have become stagnant, that may have never been questioned. It's important that we question our beliefs. It's important that we question everything that we've been told, uh, because when we don't question, that's when people really do assert their power and influence over us. And we really do begin to lose our agency and our autonomy. And this might be the somewhat anti-establishment part of me speaking, but out of care and compassion for the human race, I would just ask you to continue to ask those questions. All right, moving on. (laughs) So let's move on to some of the rebuttals and disagreements that may have come up so far. I've had a lot of conversations. It might come as a surprise to some of you, but uh, this podcast has picked up a little bit of steam and is being listened to all over the world right now. It's pretty cool. Um, But with that, there have definitely been some conversations I've had where I've had to clear some things up, and I'm happy to do so. I will say there are some, some key questions that I think have stuck out for a lot of people who a lot of the aforementioned people who come from the same tradition that I did, that kind of Western set of doctrines and even dogmas. And so I think it's going to be really relevant to address some of those right now. One of the big ones, and this has been the case since I started deconstructing years ago, one of the big ones has been, are you really moving into a more expansive spirituality or are you actually trying to excuse sinful desires? (laughs) Are you actually trying to find a way to just have life exactly how you want it, um, apart from the discipline that's laid out for you in Scripture, apart from the very clear English about the flesh and about our sin nature? I would like to just go ahead and say that I personally feel, uh, at this space that I am right now, uh, an enormous amount of accountability to myself that comes to me from my experiences with the divine. That's the way I would put it. In in prayer, in meditation, in actual real mystical experiences that I've had where a dagger is shot into me, or at least it feels like it, of conviction. Um, So the Holy Spirit 
is very capable of convicting and does not need the help of human beings or of um, the disciplines of the church to convict you. Um, John the baptizer didn't have a church. He was walking out into the desert and was hearing directly from the Spirit of God. That's the way it was laid out for us in the Bible. And Jesus himself, when he was feeling troubled or when he was uh, overwhelmed by crowds or whatever, uh, as, it, as it seems like the human in him would be, he withdrew to nature. That's where he went. I would like to just go ahead and quickly make that statement as my rebuttal, that it, it, you don't need this great set of doctrines. They are very useful. They are. The Bible, like I said in the last uh, podcast, which I found out was from, I think, Second Peter, <laughs> is good and useful for all things pertaining to life and godliness. I fully believe that. Um, I think that there's such a, an excellent roadmap of morality that's laid out for us in the Bible. Uh, however, it's not without its flaws or its, its, uh, its points where it can be questioned. Legally being able to stone people for disobeying the word of their father or, uh, you know, the ways that divorce was laid out for us culturally based on women as property, um, the way you're supposed to treat your slaves. You know, it's not a perfect example of morality, but it's an excellent framework, excellent framework uh, to work from. And morality in general is something that the world's great wisdom traditions and religions have lots of agreements on, lots. And there is a basic morality that I think every human being who is being honest and is is really trying to listen to the voice of God and to their own conscience knows. They know the basics of how to not harm one another and not harm the world or not harm the planet. And we're all on a spectrum of learning what that means. Like, for instance, a lot of the Christians who may have posed this question about, are you just trying to justify your own wrongdoings, like premarital sex or whatever it is, are they might be not recycling. They might be using far more disposable products than they need to and creating far more of a burden on the planet than they should. That's, that's, a, that's a possibility. Or uh, they might unwittingly be partaking in uh, behaviors or teachings or disciplines that are actually psychologically damaging, like purity culture, uh, that has been proven out in psychology to be negatively affecting human beings. Now, does that mean that you are in sin and that you're an awful person for following those old doctrines and disciplines? Uh, absolutely not. I believe that so many people are well-intentioned in the ways that they move forward with those doctrines, like subduing the earth and it's all going to burn one day. And if you really believe all of that deep in your heart and act from that place, who's going to fault you uh, for for acting on what you believe to be right and true. So that's not what this discussion is about. What this discussion is actually about is about opening up to a wider perspective and definition of what morality is, of what it could be. Um, and so the question of, am I trying to excuse my own sin in the past? Is anyone trying to excuse their own sin in the past by following this path? I think is, is a very easy one to address. So um, I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I think that point's been at least fairly made. Here's another one, a favorite. 
do not forsake the gathering. That's a, a scripture reference that gets like that people like to use a lot uh, to combat this sort of movement that we have here. And that's that's another one that's easily debated. You know, uh, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Those are the words of Christ himself. And that's what we're doing with ground gatherings. And that's what we are. That's the effect that we're going for here. That's the actual vacuum of community left when we exit the church that we're trying to address. So um, I I think that speaks for itself. The gathering, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to try to justify doctrinally that that means the actual church. Uh, But the church as it was defined at the time that Christ said that and the church that it is defined in do not forsake the gathering are already two slightly different things let alone the church as it is now, which has become an institution, which has become deeply ingrained in American politics, in um, corporate structures, and does not reflect the original movement of Jesus in the world. We have a really strong body of evidence that points toward Jesus fitting this zealot uh, figure type that was pretty common in that day, relatively speaking. And there was a large call for uh, Judaism to return to its roots and to move away from the temple system as it was imagined at the time that Jesus entered into the picture. One thing that really set Jesus apart uh, was that he was performing these miracles, these healings, and, and was doing them for free. Another really strange thing to consider, guys, and this is a weird thing to even think about, but there were miracles being performed by many Jewish people, traveling healers at that time, uh, which leads me to believe that we're kind of living with a pretty impoverished and neutered spirituality ourselves in the West right now. You know, when was the last time that you saw someone's blindness healed by mud getting rubbed on their eye or some lame person being told to stand up and walk and and walking? But it's documented that that was happening in, in those days. And the thing that sets Jesus apart, like I said, is that he was doing them for free. And if you really allow yourself to meditate and reflect on that for a moment, it's very beautiful. You know, that is a that is altruism. That is a, a compassion that goes very deep. Jesus was the real deal. You know, his ministry was pure as it gets. A Jewish zealot, one of the many messiahs that came uh, and was crucified. There were many messiahs that came uh, to that culture at that time and were crucified by Rome. And I'm sure many of them at the behest of the Jewish people, because the temple system in Jerusalem at that time was already becoming, surprise, surprise, deeply ingrained and back pocketed with the Roman occupation. And we have so many examples of that. Jesus was directly in opposition to piety, always. Um, you know, he, he would come to those who thought they were inside, that, were, that thought they were included and excluding all these other people with their rights and their multiple laws and sacraments and all of that. And Jesus comes in and starts flipping tables. So, you know, we can talk more about that if, if in the future, if anyone is interested in that conversation. Um, but that's one of the things that's always ringed so true with me about Jesus is that anti-establishment character that he has, that he exhibits. And I think that if you feel yourself compelled and angry um, and in feeling a lot of opposition to that statement, 
it might be worth it to stop and examine the kind of messages that you've been given and the kind of life that you're involved in, the lifeblood of the church that you're around. Look around you and see like the people that are preaching those messages. You know, that message of exclusivity tends to benefit a few people. And, uh, you know, we can see all around us the way that our political structures, our social structures tend to separate people into classes, tend to separate people from one another in very basic ways. And so the cozier that the church structure gets with a corporate mentality or with any sort of ism that's being reinforced and held up by government structures or any of that are just prone to corruption, are prone to uh, these ruts that get dug and where power and the seduction of greed and all of that start to seep in. We're seeing an age where we can usher in some newness here. We can start to think about gathering and think about the work of the people in a new way that that sets aside these institutions. Questioning those systems, and I'm not saying completely abolishing them. I'm not saying throwing them aside and forgetting them entirely. I'm saying changing them in a way that is meaningful and begins to reflect more of a universal, spiritual, intuitive humanity is a worthwhile thing to do. And the institutions that we have around us and the, the, the level of comfort and galvanization that they've achieved over a long period of time now is something that's worth questioning. Um, And it's the work of the people. This is another thing we talk about at Cathedral Project. It's the work of the people that's always amounted to lasting change and has always created real solutions to problems. It's collaborative work. It's not a few people who should be making the calls for all of us forever and always. Amen. Right? That's the the human value I was talking about earlier in your life inherently by being born and being a being connected directly to God is something no one can ever take away from you. Living from that place, there's abundance on this planet for all of us. That might be a little bit of a rant, but I think it's worth uh, consideration. All right, let's talk about the importance of theology, the importance of doctrine, of uh, hermeneutics and apologetics and all of this. So I am not ever going to argue that it's not a worthwhile endeavor to study, to find yourself approved, right? Like, like, like Paul said. Paul said so many things, by the way. And, you know, people like to quote Paul all the time or Apollos or whoever it was and kind of take those things and, and cherry pick and use them to justify a lot of beliefs now that have kind of been adapted into Christianity and I don't mean to undermine the great work I was talking about earlier from, you know, the, the councils and the canonization of the New Testament. And that's that's a lot of work. It's a lot of translation. Many New Testament scholars these days are taking issue with Paul and believe that he took liberties in different directions with the gospel message that, that aren't perfectly congruent. We at least have reason to examine what we've always taken at face value there, and it it doesn't take anything away from our Christianity to do that. I think that's another key point here. History seems pretty certain. Jesus Christ was real, (laughs) really walked around. There are a lot of very congruent stories. The messages about him seem to be largely congruent across the writings that we have. But anyway, let's not get down in the weeds with that. That's just another point where we could go round and round. And like I said earlier, 
turning Christianity into some materialistic logic th- logical thing when it's all based on spirituality and intuition and things that don't conform to logic is in some ways a fallacy. In some ways, it's a fool's errand, you know? So while I think that the tradition of trying to fit this all into our brains, you know, trying to get God to, to make sense to us is, is valuable. You know, it seems like God really wants to make sense to us. It seems like he, she wants to visit us and incarnate among us and, and, and show us the way to live, you know? Um, I just think that we need to quit getting like I've said so many times, hung up on all of that logic and try to make their a new kind of harmonious uh, Christian spirituality from it, or, or just a spirituality in general. You know, this is just one message among many in the world. And like I said, moralism, the, the morals that we find, the agreements that we find morally across religions are, are really they seem to be a universal law. It seems to be something like Paul talked about, the Gentiles having a law written on their hearts for themselves that that that, that holds them to account. You know, that, that's that's the the morality and the spirituality that we're wanting to move into, and all of this stuff that holds us back from that new creation and that new rebirth into the kingdom here among us are the things we're trying to leave behind. Things are cherry picked and used out of context to prove points all the time. I'm not saying that that's all that theology is or all that apologetics is. What I am saying is that we've had a habit of drilling down into very small points that really can't function on their own nearly as well as they can when they're considered in the scheme of the entire story. So the reason that we don't want to get bogged down in the theological and in the apologetics of why we believe this or don't believe that is because we are trying to move our human experience of our spirituality into a more universal and holistic approach. And we're not trying to get hung up on all the little ins and outs that used to hang people up because, and this is just my opinion, I think it's a fun thing to talk about, and I'd I'd welcome anyone's comments. Again, cathedralproject.com, contact us, feel free to write in if you'd like to. Um, But you know, the place that religion, philosophy, all that plays in the human race, all those things are so beautiful and useful because they are that melding of the rational and the intuitive. So for me, I think that science has to be weighed into the discussion very heavily. Uh, I, there was a point where I felt like science was in opposition to my beliefs, but that was because those beliefs were all self-referential and were held in a circular logical pattern that was all bound to a Bible which had to be authoritative, which had to be infallible and errant. And uh, the moment that you tug at that thread, just a little, people who have built their lives and their belief systems and their disciplines on the thing being completely watertight are going to reel and are going to fuss about that. And with good reason, our lizard brain does feel something akin to physical attack when a core belief that we have is challenged. And I'm not above this. No human being is above this. However, human beings have the unique ability to understand things about their nature and to back up from those things and be slightly more objective about them than an animal that acts on instinct. We can see these beliefs, these things, and our response to a challenge to these beliefs 
and back up from that and take a minute to calm ourselves down and to battle our instinct so that we can evolve more as human beings, so that we can learn more and grow more. And uh, that's why we don't get hung up in the apologetics and in the theology, because first of all, we don't believe, most of us anyway, don't believe the Bible to be inerrant or infallible or all authoritative. That's a common agreement that you're going to find in people who are leaving the church, because that's going to be one of the first things that comes up. And you probably noticed it all over the place. And if you are coming from more of that traditional Western Christian mindset, you probably have felt offended. You've probably felt scared by watching people begin to question that. Again, I would just ask that you try to take a moment, take a breath, step back. And, and I hope you don't feel like this is condescending saying this, because this comes from a place that I'm personally familiar with. I'm not telling you something that I haven't been through myself. I would just ask you to try to step back, take a deep breath, <laughs> slow down, really ask yourself if you are capable of incorporating a discussion about things that you've always believed. And are you capable of being wrong? That's a great degree of humility that's needed to think on that. And if your reflex and your knee jerk is to say, well, maybe I am wrong, but if I'm wrong, it's only because I'm believing something counter to the scripture. I would just tell you that when we think on the word of God on the outside of the church, there's an entire theology that you've probably already somewhat familiar with about what the word of God means. You've probably heard that it means Christ, right? You've probably heard that before. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Like that very clearly speaks to the creative action of Christ in the, all of the universe. And I'm on board with that. I would ask you to consider also that the word of God is always active, that it is creation, that it is right now speaking, that new things are being born, that humanity has a place in ushering in newness in ushering in Christ and preparing the way for new and beautiful and evolved things and realities. And that that is what we call paramount, following that creative force in the world. Scientific materialism, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term or that idea, it's really seeped its way into Western culture and even into Western Christianity in a lot of ways. You know, this is a big point to consider. I've bumped into a lot of Christian thinking that really wants to make everything super logical. But I find that ironic because, you know, God, Jesus, healings, miracles, the transfiguration, whatever you want to use as your example, those are not logical things. You know, eternity and infinity itself, those are not logical concepts. Science is wrestling with those as we speak and, and uses them, though, in, their, in, in theorems and in advanced equations and formulas. And yet it's something that boggles the mind, something that we really can't understand. And yet we know it's there. So science has to work with something that just doesn't really fit the confines of logic. So why should Christianity be any different? Why have we allowed materialism to seep into our beliefs too, and tried to make everything so logical and rational when we're dealing with something that defies all logic in the first place? And I guess that kind of harkens back to the 
overly rationally contrived set of doctrines and beliefs that we have. Christianity is unique in that it hit the world at a time where Greece was kind of the birthplace of all of Western thinking in the Western world. There was so much happening right there in that area and right there in that time in history. And Paul, you know, we can see him kind of adapting his his account to make it fit the model of uh, the Roman op- occupation of the time and, and the, the Greek thinking. And the more that we get hung up on old models, those are old wineskins, I believe, that begin to ferment too much. And we end up with old spoiled wine and we need new wine and new wineskins. We need to be open to the idea that Christ's message might have been more open and expansive and might have been a leaven that spreads through this bread forever and ever and is always making it new without having to continue to reference the old. Like the fulfillment of the law in Christ, I think people get hung up on that and want to talk about it like this very transactional scapegoat, the atonement system of Israel, of putting the sins of the entire tribe onto the animal, um, and that that's the thing that Christ pays once and for all. There's a lot of very beautiful imagery there, and I don't want to argue with that, really. But I would ask you to consider that if that's over, it's actually over, and that there is something new around the corner, always being reborn into a new kingdom that is within you is going to look radical. It's going to look different. Being born is a scary thing. When you've known a womb and you've known warmth and you've known something familiar for a long time, and then suddenly you burst forth into a brand new reality, it can be really scary and uncomfortable. And I think that image was carefully chosen by Christ, and I'm so glad that we have it. Um, so, again, we don't want to do away with all of the old wine. <laughs> that's that's why this thing's called Cathedral Project, because there are beautiful standing things that will never go away from our faith tradition that are always going to be useful and beautiful. And there are things that aren't. Uh, Robert Ferrer Capon is an Episcopal priest who wrote a book called The Fingerprints of God. And in this book, he wrote one of the most mind-blowing ideas I had heard about Christianity and what it means. He said something to the effect of, and I'm not quoting, again, this is all off the cuff, and you feel free to take me to task on it if you want to, but I'm trying to keep this authentic. He said something to the effect of, when a baby is born, he called it the womb of the word, that the Bible and everything that went Everything that took place in the Hebrew world and ancient Hebrew tradition leading all the way up to the birth of Christ is a womb and that Christ has been in that womb ready to be born and that the afterbirth that comes, the womb itself, the um, the placenta, the, the fluids, the umbilical cord, all of these things – while they are instrumental and beautiful and very much needed for that baby to be born, they are not needed after that baby is born. And they're treasured and they're beautiful and remembered always, but they are not the baby. <laughs> the baby is what we want. The baby is what we're taking from that process. And the baby is Christ. The baby is the word alive and well and 
his creation, her creation, burgeoning with life, bursting forth every new moment in the present where eternity touches now. So that's the excitement that we want to enter into as this new universal spirituality begins to touch Christianity. Okay, and I'm going to end on this one. This is, this is a big one. Some people listening have been touched by Christianity in a way that has nearly killed them. Whether it is the kind of story that I told about beginning to question my very identity um, at the level of providing for a family of my place in the world, or whether you've been touched in a similar way, um, say, with leaving the faith and being lambasted and abandoned, or whether it was your sexual orientation or any identity location in which you are. So often that story in the West is connected to a Christian doctrine. And when something that foundational is the basis upon which abandonment and pain and sometimes even direct assault on, on a person or on their, uh, their character or on uh, their, their place in the world, on their, their place in a family – it can be really hard to look back on Christianity in any kind of a positive light. And that is a space that deserves a moment of silence and reflection. And I'm going to give that to us in just a second. If you're listening to this and that is you and you've been touched that way and you're having a hard time calling yourself a Christian at all and would really love to leave the whole thing behind because of how deeply you've been hurt, I want you to hear right now that your experience is valid. It's 100% valid. And that the Christianity that you grew up with is the thing we are trying to leave in the past. We're trying to leave in the past a Christianity that would ever deject and reject any human being for, for, for any reason. That's something we want to leave in the past. So if, if, that's, if that's where you've been, this is not an effort to bring you in and to, to, to lull you into some new uh, set of beliefs and doctrines. This is just an apology. That's all it is. This is just uh, a, a wish that you would see that there are still people who followed your tradition who can love you and that there are still people who heard the words of Christ this way, that all shall be saved, that he who is without sin should cast the first stone, that there, there, there's, there's no reason for you to feel cast aside. There's no reason for you to feel excluded. And if you've been in that space, we're going to offer you a moment of silence. And I, my hope is that as you're listening to this podcast, that you could direct your energy, your positive intention, your prayer um, of the movement of the Spirit of God in a person's life to comfort them and to reassure them of their belonging, that they are at home in the world, that they, their, their human experience has value, has infinite value. Let's take that moment of silence. Put that intention toward these people. And if you're that person who's received that pain, I want you to take a moment to feel that and to know that our intention is moving towards you. So let's take that moment together right now.
may God the Father, the Mother, Christ our Brother, Spirit our Sister, Sophia, Wisdom, Virtue, all fill you. May you be blessed, may you be whole, may you be renewed every day, and may you know that Christ's heart is for you and that you are loved forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ground from Cathedral Project. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends, like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cathedral project. There you can also ask to join our private Ground Facebook group, and you can visit us at cathedralproject.com.